criminal, if you will, turn to number 495. Number 495, and let's stand together. There shall be showers of blessing. This is a promise of God. There shall be seasons refreshing. Sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. But for the showers we There shall be showers of blessing. Precious reviving again over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain.
sooner the, uh, the CDs or the DVDs of all of our Christmas programs, those three programs we had, came in Friday. And if you want to claim yours, uh, you can see Betty. And I already know we're going to have to call in a couple more, a little bit more of an order. So if you want another one, let us know right quick so we can do that. But Betty has the list and the DVDs. Number 320, Jesus' name of my Lord. Thank you, David Dell. We have a video here from North American Mission Board with Annie Armstrong about Toronto. I showed up in Toronto at the age of 10 with my family. I struggled to find identity, which led us eventually to gangs and street gangs right here in Toronto. When I came here from Sri Lanka, gangs of like my background uh, were starting to form. There was two gangs, Case of Man's Click and My Click. My best friend was brutally beaten up. 
And the response to that was what changed everything in my life. Case events clicked. They went and shot my friend. Two weeks later, I ended up in prison. And little did I realize that nothing will ever be the same again. One of the inmates slid a book through the door. And when I opened it up, it was the Bible. Two months after my arrest, I committed my life to Christ, repented, and I believed in Him as the only way. After nine years, when I was released, our church plan began as we began to walk the streets and pray and ask God if it's His will to plant a church here. And, and so we did. Still in and out of jail all the time. I wasn't happy, you know, whatever I did, I wasn't happy. When I met Gajan, I couldn't help myself but grab him and hug him, just for him to know off the bat that I'm not the same person I was. A lot of people nowadays, when they talk about Case Event, they don't talk about the stuff he did before. Most of them talk about how he's changed and, and how he's living his life now. When you see that, and, you know, you're like, oh, I want that. You know, I want to be like that too. You know, I want to change. For me and my family, the Annie Armstrong Eastern offering has faithfully provided so that Gajin and others like him, that they can also know that there is the realness of Christ. And so we believe that this is the harvest where God wants us to work and to see people who don't know Jesus becoming worshipers of Christ. That is the theme for our 2018 Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Easter will be here very soon. It's on April 1st of all days, April Fool's Day. So we'll be here in two and a half months for that. That is, a, it's hard to hear that. That was a church planner there in Toronto. That God is doing great work in his life, and he's certainly uh, playing a new work there in a, in a lost city. The North American Mission Board, it focuses really on two countries, the United States and Canada. Even though Canada is an international con- you know, a country, they still, because it's so similar to U.S., that's not, it falls and still under the umbrella of the IMB. They put it under the umbrella of the um, NAM, a North American Mission Board. Open your Bibles through the book of Luke. We are going through the uh, Gospel of Luke on Sunday nights. Now, what's going to happen tonight? Tonight is a special night. Tonight is our bi-monthly, after our, after our service today at 7 o'clock. And I want everybody to stay and stick around. I always give a Every time, every year in January, I give what I call a state of the church address, and you have six handouts. You don't want to grab them now, but when the service is over, before business meeting starts, so right back there in the back, you'll grab your six handouts, and one of them is mine, and we'll be sh- uh, sharing about our church and some uh, great things uh, um, looking ahead and certainly exciting things happening. So that will be uh, f- uh, following tonight's sermon. We are going through on Sunday nights the book of Luke. The book of Luke, and we talked about it uh, um, I think this is the third part of it. We actually didn't start, we, we didn't so much uh, get into the nativity of Jesus and uh, birth of John the Baptist because I went through all of that back in uh, December because all of that was tying in with December. So we really started this uh, two weeks ago where we picked up at the end there of chapter 2 talking about the background of Luke. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. Not only that, last week we, we got into... Um, the Jesus' genealogy. What's neat about Luke's genealogy is Luke's genealogy traces Mary, whereas the other genealogy of Jesus traces um, Joseph. You know, Luke traced uh, Jesus' 
physical lineage where Matthew, we know Joseph was not the father of Matthew, God was, but it traced what we would call more of his um, legal lineage. So there's a difference there from his actual physical lineage versus his legal lineage. So that's who, um, that's some of the difference. If you go back, according to Luke's account, if you trace it, because Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. Well, that's 4,000 years. Well, you add another 2,000 years to that since Jesus, roughly uh, that right there, all the way to Adam, would be 6,000 years. And we talked about, well, and how old is the earth? Do we add six days to it? Yes, if you add the sixth day, Adam there and Eve were created on the sixth day. So, and this gets into what we call the young earth versus old earth uh, argument for which one is older. So I would be a young earth uh, creationist. I grew up probably in church. Back, that's become more popular now, really with answers in Genesis. But back 30, 40 years ago, everybody was in old earth. Now you say, well, what do you mean by old earth? We talked about this last week. Old earth believes in something called what we call the gap theory. The gap theory is between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there was an extended gap. So the problem with that is it's not biblical. Now, that's, you, you don't, the Bible doesn't say there's a 4.6 billion year gap. So that's a Wednesday night study. That's neat to study, but uh, uh, Bible-believing Christians can be uh, certainly in both those camps, the old earth versus the young. If you're a young earth creationist, you believe the earth is about 6,000 years old. And that's coming out of Luke's genealogy plus the six-day creation. So if you're an old earth, you believe in the gap theory between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there was an extended amount of time, and that is uh, uh, that be- before we got into creation. But so that's what we looked at last, uh, last Sunday night. Today we're going to look at, tonight we're going to look at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Now, this account here is very similar, very par- parallel to Matthew's account of this. He also has an account of this in Matthew chapter 4. But we're here in Luke chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to go through this. Now what happened here is Jesus, what he does is before he launches his ministry, two things have to happen in chapter 4. First of all, he has to get tested tempted by the devil three different times we're going to look at that and he is able to overcome that then after his tempting here his testing then he goes to his hometown and he gets rejected i mean what a what great way to start your ministry you get tempted for uh your 40 days and the devil comes and tempts you and then you go to hometown nazareth and nobody likes you until you go away so that's pretty much it. and then he launched his preaching ministry and that's how uh, that's what we're going to see but we're not going to We'll get into some of that um, next Sunday evening. But here, we're right here in Jesus' temptation. What's going on is Jesus passed his earthly testing, or his tempting by the devil. That he passed his test. And this is a, tonight's message is one on temptation. It's one we're going to see here how Jesus was tempted. And the reality is, the truth is, our takeaways we're going to see, if you are a child of God and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will be tempted. If Jesus is getting tempted, you're surely going to get tempted. And this is something, no matter where we're at, whether we're senior adults or we're a young, a young adult, even a child, temptation will come. In a little bit, we'll flip over and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10. In fact, let's go ahead and turn there. Before we get into the Luke account, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Paul warns us about temptation. 
I used to know a guy who struggled with temptation down in Georgia. He was a police officer. He actually, I'm not a fan of tattoos, but he put a tattoo on his arm, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I mean, he just, he was one of these guys, he was on our church softball team, and great guy, but he had a lot of excitement energy for the Lord, but he, he was a roller coaster in his spiritual life. He'd, he would be speaking at the men's prayer breakfast about and leading folks to Jesus, dynamic young man. And then he would make poor decisions. He gets, he turned his life over the Lord again. He made several rededications. And then he'd come right back and he, was, he lived that type of life. And, it, and truthfully, it's exciting for him to rededicate his life or get forgiven. But every time he went through a falling, something was lost with him. And he became a weaker man. And that's what sin does. You don't realize it, but sin weakens you. That's the danger and the deceitfulness of sin. In fact, this is what it says here. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, So whoever thinks he stands, he must be careful not to fall. Now that's a warning here. Church, the Bible's telling us if you are not careful, you, if you think you can stand, if you think you're going to be able to withstand temptation, you better be careful. Because the devil, if he goes after Jesus, and we're about to see this, he's going to go after you. And we're going to see here the situation that the devil certainly tempts. Look what it says in verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation He will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Church, the Bible's telling us, no matter what temptation comes your way, the Lord will provide a way. There is always a side door, a back door. Remember Joseph, one of the best examples in Scripture. I think I've shared it before, is someone who was tempted. is when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar was gone. His wife was there, and she grabbed him and said, have sex with me. What did he do? He just, there's no time to talk. There's no time to logically think about it. He just left his cloak there and ran. Now, he got thrown in jail for leaving his cloak there. It cost him, but God was at work. He ran away from that. And at the time, he probably, when he was sitting in the jail cell, he think, well, I should have just had sex with her, because then I wouldn't be in jail. But no, God honored his purity and god used that to lift him up even higher so we never want to give into temptation god always provides a way out luke chapter 4 we're going to read 13 verses here we're going to read i'm going to stop and explain it then jesus left the jordan full of the holy spirit this is when temptation comes he's g Jesus is leaving, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he just got baptized, his lineage has been traced back all the way to Adam, where he's a son of God. He was led into spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. So understand the situation. Jesus is isolated. There's two things we see here. This is when, this is when folks fall into sin. Number one, he was isolated. Now, we live in a world today, it's hard to be isolated because even if you're on, on the computer, or you're, you're always around folks, it's hard to isolate yourself these days. But you can actually be lonely in a midst of a sea of people. 
And this was what Jesus, though, he was actually physically isolated. He was in the wilderness. When you are isolated, not just physically isolated, but when you have no close friends, and you have no, you have no small group, you're not in a group of Sunday school class, you don't have a discipleship group, when you don't have men and women around you that you can turn to and say, Brother, pray for me. I need help. I'm struggling. You are in a dangerous situation. Because the devil sees this. It's interesting. Even though Jesus is isolated, somebody followed him out in the wilderness. The devil did. He's watching this man. And what's also it says here in verse 2, it says here that he was hungry. He was physically exhausted and hungry. When someone... Another weak moment for us is when we are physically tired. Now, I'm not talking spiritually. Remember, we're not talking about spiritually tired. There is a danger in being too busy. Because when you're busy all the time, and you're exhausted all the time, and you're studying and you're working, you're in a vulnerable position. And we see that from Jesus. He is tired right now. He's hungry. He hasn't ate in 40 days. Now, what's interesting about this, they say, Pastor, is he fasting? In Luke's account, it says he's not fasting. In Matthew's account, this, it says he's actually fasting. So even he's, in Luke's account here, he's not in a fast. He's just not eating. Now, say, well, in the Bible, he's supposed to fast. In the Old Testament, the only required national fasting is found in Leviticus 16, 29 and through verse 31. And that's called the Day of Atonement. But that's not what's going on right here. Jesus is allowing Himself, and I think the reason, my, my personal thoughts on this, say, Pastor, why, why, why on earth is Jesus having to be tempted? This is God's Son. To me, is, was the temptation hard? I don't think so at all for Jesus. Jesus is doing this because He knows this is going to be recorded in the Scriptures. So show to you and I, that if he's going to get tempted, he can overcome it. You can too. We're going to see how Jesus overcomes this. Jesus is physically exhausted and hungry. He's full of the Holy Spirit, so he's not spiritually exhausted by any means. And not only that, he's isolated. So we see the two dangers for us is when physical exhaustion or hunger and isolation. These are warning signs. Part of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is to recognize, okay, God, am I, in a, am I in a warning sign right now? Is this a time that I, I'm in a, a, a dangerous situation? For Jesus, these were the two examples He gives us. Verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, now notice that question, if. That's a temptation right there. The devil knows He's the Son of God. Devil followed him out the wilderness. And he used that question. I want to say, why don't you just show me, prove to me that you're God's son. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He knew he was hungry. So it's the first, first temptation. Jesus here answers. He's, he's, he answers his, uh, in, with a Bible verse, Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. Jesus needs something better than bread. He is not concerned about eating food. He needed, what did he need? He needed God's Word. He's quoting the Scriptures to refute the temptation. All three of these temptations, Jesus Christ returns 
with Scripture. He doesn't need Satan's word. He needs God's word. Satan is questioning him. And not only the one of the things we see here, when, when Satan asks that question, if you're the Son of Man, what's interesting about that church is it's almost, if Jesus would, you know, we would be, if I'm the Son, I'm going to show you, I am the Son of Man. He doesn't fall for that. Jesus wasn't there to pick a fight with the devil. He's there to answer the questions with Scripture. And that's it. That's all he does. All he does to Satan he doesn't engage in a conversation. He quotes the Bible to him. So we have to realize that Jesus is aware that if Jesus can live on God's Word, we can live on God's Word. Now, our question for us is, do we know our Bibles well enough to live on God's Word? When you're faced with temptation, and, the, and, and you're struggling with stuff, or maybe your children or grandchildren are struggling, Are they armed with God's Word to quote that? Most of us are not living on bread alone. Most of us here, we find ourselves, this is what we do. And this is why we fall. We're coming to church, but it's not enough. Say, what do you mean, Pastor, it's not enough? This morning I I quoted this magazine. I'm a Lifeway fan. They send me this thing. You can get this free magazine and that comes out once a quarter. It's the Facts and Trends. And it basically it gives you, um, it says the five things to watch in church for, um, for 2018. Here they are. I'll read them out to you. Number one, fewer Americans will have room for God in their lives. You know why they won't have room for God? They're too busy. That's the number one problem. Folks are just too busy for church. There's a million and one other things you could be doing right now. Not only that, God might inspire church members to do something new. I mean, there's could be that's something uh, new. New ministries launching. A church will become more diverse. America's growing more diverse. Number four, congregations may look older than they really are. So why would they look? And here's why they look older. Here's what. Here's why churches will look older than they are. Why? Because regular church attendance means once or twice a month. You go find someone. That says they go to church, especially a young person that's busy. When they say they go to church, that means one time a month. They come to church for one or two hours once a month. Now, 40 years ago, the deacon visitation team would be knocking on their door, telling them it's time to get saved, brother, like you've just a backslider. Now, one time a month, we, we're excited they're here. So what's happening is the new generation coming up, their frequency of being in the, the sanctuary, hearing a sermon, it's not there. So here's how the devil fools people. Those people who go to church once a month, if, unless they have a dynamic spiritual life and they're growing in God's Word, they think, you know what? I went to church this, today on January 21st. I'm okay. I don't have to go again until February 18th. In four weeks, I've got it. And the problem with that is you think, oh, I'm not living on bread alone, pastor. I go to church. No. You are li- if you're going to church once a month, and that is your spiritual life, you are living on bread alone. You are in a dangerous situation. One sermon a month, God wants us to be sponges in His Word. Literally, we just soak up any opportunity. Because it's not just for us, it's for us to share with other folks. 
so we could be able to proclaim the gospel. All right, so he's saying here, I don't live on bread alone. The Bible says man doesn't need bread alone. He needs to have a life feasting on God's Word. The thing to watch is church, a church attender once a month is now a regular, that's a regular person. Back in the good old days, we talk about the good old days a lot. Good old days used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You were at church regularly when the church doors were open. Coming, expecting here, Lord, you speak to me through your word. Moving along here, verse 5. Bible says here, so he took him up. So the first one here, he's moved along. Second temptation says he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you the splendor of all this authority because it has been given over to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. Now, if you look at Matthew's account of this, Matthew makes this temptation number three, whereas here in Luke's account, it's temptation number two. Now, what, a couple of things are interesting about this. Um, this is a temptation that Jesus is going to receive all the kingdoms. Now, we saw this morning in Daniel chapter two. There we saw the list of all the kingdoms. Now, Jesus already has a kingdom coming. It's rolling a stone. It's going to crush the statue there, Nebuchadnezzar's statue that was... Uh, uh, revealed in dream in Ma Daniel chapter 2. Jesus already has a kingdom. But what we see here is Satan makes this promise. And the question is, can he fulfill this promise? Is there any truth about this? And there's partial truth to this, what the devil says. Devil's sneaky. He does have something to give away. In fact, we don't have time to turn there, but we, we'll look at the one in Revelation. But in 1 John five nineteen, the Bible says of Satan, it says the whole world is under control of the evil one. Do y'all know that? The whole world is actually under control of the devil. That's what it means to be a principality of the air, as the scripture says. If you turn your Bible, Revelation chapter 13, we see here what we call the beast, <clears throat> the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And we also see something called a, someone called a dragon. And this dragon gives his authority to the beast out of the earth. Now look at this, Revelation 13, verse 1. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He's watching us. That's why he's staying on the sand of the sea. He sees this beast coming out of the sea. This beast coming out of the sea is what we know. The Bible makes very clear. This is what we call the Antichrist. The dragon, remember this is the evil trinity revealed here in Revelation, Revelation chapter 13. The dragon is Satan himself, the devil. The beast, out of the, earth, the beast out of the sea is the Antichrist. The beast out of the earth is the false prophet. So it says, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. And on its horns were ten crowns. And of its heads were blasphemous names. We're going to talk about the sin of blasphemy Wednesday night. That's the third commandment. Using the Lord's name in vain, God does not hold anyone unpunished for that. In fact, the Antichrist, one of his attributes, he will go around blaspheming God. And that's what we see here, his blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now look at this. The dragon, that's the devil, gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Satan was able to transfer his power to the Antichrist. So taking all this back, when we go back in our Bible to Luke chapter 4, when the devil says, I will give you, in verse 6, the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and their authority. How can the devil do that? 
Well, apparently he had the authority to do it. Revelation 13, 2 says he was able to give it to the Antichrist. And if he was able to give it to the Antichrist, apparently he could give something to Jesus here. So we see in Scripture that there was a, the devil can give away his power. This is why. You know, we might not be uh, in tune to it, but um, Ouija boards, um, fortune telling, a palm reading, anything like that. The danger of those, you might think of it as harmless, but the Bible warns us about that. Because this could be true. You could find someone that could have tapped into some sort of demonic powers. And you say, how, Pastor, I could do it? The devil could pass it along. The devil could allow this person to do these things. So it, it is real. And if the, the devil's able to give away some of his authority, apparently, in Scripture. That's why demon possession is real. Someone can become de- de- demon-possessed. Jesus encountered this. He was trying to give Jesus some kingdoms right here. So what does Jesus do? He answers here in verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That there's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.13. Satanic worship is self-interest. He was promised a kingdom that would have made Jesus great. Was Jesus' own earth to become great? No. Jesus came to earth to die for the sins of the world. He wasn't there to pick up a kingdom. Here he had a kingdom. It was the kingdom of God. It was coming. It was a rolling stone about to destroy everything. When, when we fall for what the devil promises us, making us great, we're basically buying into this same temptation. We're saying, devil, make me great. I want a kingdom. I want splendor. I want majesty. I want people to think of me as wonderful. This is our culture today. This is the promise that the devil is, is offering folks. And we're surrounded. Folks are buying it. They're taking this, and they don't realize the danger of self-centeredness. Third, third thing we see here, third temptation, verse 9. So he took him up to Jerusalem. Now, in Matthew's account, this is the second one. Had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If, there's that if again, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Now, this is shocking right here. Who's quoting this Bible verse? The devil is. This is Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Do you, does it concern you the, the Satan, the devil, is quoting Scripture to get Jesus to sin? Listen, if, he's going to, if Satan knows his Bible, surely you should know your Bible. Satan knows his Bible right here. He says, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Devil saying, Jesus, look, here in your Bible that you love so much, that you're quoting to me every time I offer my temptation to you, your Bible says in Psalm 91 that if people fall down, the angels will help them stand up. So we're up here on the temple. If you're the Son of God, why don't you see if this Bible verse is true? And you jump down, and we'll see if the angels come and swoop you up. It's just a test. They're up at the top of the highest building in Jerusalem. And this is what he's being tempted with. What's, 
What's dangerous about this is we have to answer the question, why does the devil quote Scripture? Why is he quoting this? What the devil's doing is he's saying, surely this Bible verse in Psalm 91 is talking and referring about the Messiah. He's talking about you. But what's wrong about that is Psalm 91, 11, and 12 is not about Jesus. This is the danger of misinterpreting our scriptures. The devil is taking the scriptures and twisting it and presenting it to Jesus inaccurately so he will fall for it and jump. We are surrounded by folks who are twisting the scriptures. You can take your Bible and make it to believe anything you want it to believe. One of the goals of Bible studies is to make sure you are accurate in studying your scriptures. Even this week, our treasurer, Rodney Welch, emailed me for a Sunday school class. He said, Damn, I'm giving out this supplemental uh, stuff. Will you take a look at it? Because he wants to see, and we all do that. We won't say, Take a look at this. Make sure this lines up with the Word of God. And it did. You know, he was talking about t- today is a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, because tomorrow is the 45th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Uh, 45 years of that. And he's teaching Sunday school on that. What's going on here? The devil is taking the scriptures and he's twisted. What does Jesus say? Verse 12, And Jesus answered him. It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. Jesus' devotion. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 right here. He's telling him that Jesus' devotion to his Father is, I will serve him even if it's to a cross. I'm going to go to the cross for my Father. I'm not here to serve you. And what this verse is saying here is God is not a tempter. He's quoting this, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. God is not a tempter, nor is He to be tempted. We do not tempt God. We do not run tests on the Lord. Say, Lord, if, it, you know, if you do this, I'll go to church. If you answer this prayer, I'll make this promise to you. God isn't in the deal-cutting business with us. Now, he did do that a couple times with Abraham in the Old Testament, but we don't see that occurring in the New Testament. Jesus didn't negotiate with his Father that way. His attitude, his devotion to his Lord is, I will serve my Lord even if it's to go into the cross. Even if I'm ready to die, I don't tempt God. Satan strikes us. What do we get from all this, this entire passage? Satan strikes us, church, when we are most vulnerable. And I think what we see here is every single time when you're in a vulnerable position, Satan's going to come after you, even when you're in the wilderness, you're isolated, you're physically exhausted, you're tired, you're hungry, and you're in a dangerous situation, and nobody else might notice but you and the devil. And he strikes. One of the goals of your spiritual growth, and one of the, say, see if somebody's maturing spiritually is, the, the temptations and the sins that maybe used to trip you up 5, 10, 15 years ago, they shouldn't be doing it today. A lot of times with Christian maturity, maybe when you were young, all of a sudden, you got tripped up in you know, more external sins, sexual immorality, stealing, using foul language. As you get older, you know the sins change. You might not do that anymore. The sins become a bad attitude, gossip, having, a, having a, a slanderous, judgmental spirit, they become more internal sins. But the Lord sees them. 
and part of Christian growth is stuff that used to cause you to fall in your 20s, when you're 40s and 50s, it shouldn't. But Satan's going to come at something different. Satan's going to create division or an attitude problem with you in your 40s and 50s. You're not doing the stuff in your 20s anymore. You're long past those days, but he's still hitting you. It's just a different way he hits. The Bible said here in verse 13, in closing, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed him forever? No. He departed him for a time. That means the devil knew, okay, Jesus, you won now, but I'm coming back. Do you know how the devil came back to Jesus? He didn't come back like this. He came back through other people. All these Pharisees that were trying to trick Jesus, that were trying to fool him into falling for stuff, the devil was behind that. He came through Judas. He came back to Jesus. It just was a different angle and a different approach. You might have victory today over temptation, but you are not promised it tomorrow. And we, what we see here in this passage is our takeaways, most importantly, if Jesus is getting tempted, you're getting tempted. Satan tempts God's people. That's what it means to live in a fallen world. And you need to be aware of those temptations. It came to Jesus when he was isolated, he was in the wilderness, and he was hungry. Being too busy, being too tired is a, a danger area for temptation. What does Jesus do? Our next takeaway, what do we learn from this? How do we respond? Scripture is the best weapon against temptation. Every single time Jesus quotes the Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you're not, you're not going to be able to refute temptation. If it didn't trip Jesus up, it's, it, um, it can also not trip up you if you know your Scriptures. Number three, we see here, we do not have to give in to temptation. Never do you ever, the Bible says, you have to succumb to temptation. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 says, in any situation, any temptation, God will provide a way out. No matter how great the temptation is, it's all common to man, the Bible says. And now you see, the fourth thing we see in closing is worship. Notice the devil went after who Jesus worshipped. Remember the first commandment we studied a few weeks ago about the importance of worshiping God alone? Worship is where we give our devotion and all of our time to. And the devil attacked that on Jesus. Worship belongs solely to the Lord. And we need to guard ourselves saying, Lord, am I worshiping you? Lord, I pray for our crowd tonight. Pray that we are faithful and um, standing up to temptation as lord you make it very clear in the bible that no matter what temptation comes you provide a way out and we can say no lord if the if the devil quotes the bible to get you to fall lord we need to also know our bible to respond lord i just pray tonight you make our crowd you make our audience be students of god's word not just so we can know the bible so that we can know it to stand up against temptation lord we don't want to get tripped up by temptations that, Lord, you provide a way out. There's no excuse, no reason to sin. Lord, we, we live in a sinful, fallen world, but, Lord, you make us holy and pure. Lord, we just pray tonight, if there's anybody here that needs to make a decision, they need to give their life to you, or they need to come forward just for prayer, Lord, we pray we respond to the gospel. Lord, you call us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation. I'll be standing out front. We always close our service with an invitation for you to come forward and you can make a decision to follow Christ. We're going to stand together. David Dale is going to lead us in our song. I'll be waiting down front for you. We'll sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, number 434.
going to have, if you, you should have six handouts. We're about to have our business meeting in a couple of min minutes, so you want to hang around, don't go anywhere. Back here on this back pew, you should have six handouts. You want to make sure you grab them. Great way to follow, and then we will, uh, we'll be starting in a couple of minutes. No, I would let them bring them You're going to hang around. 